0: Our guest today certainly needs no introduction. He is one of the world's most famous composers, the winner of five Academy Awards and another 48 nominations, whose music for movies is beloved and who continues to conduct it around the world. He's here today to discuss his most recent score for Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny. Welcome, John Williams.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you for inviting me. And as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: John, let me first take you back to 1981 and the score for the first Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do you recall what impressions you had when you saw that first adventure?
1: I loved it. It stays with me very strongly because I, first of all, fell in love with another Harrison Ford, who I already knew from Star Wars, of course, before he became Indiana Jones and Harrison playing opposite Karen Allen, who I immediately fell in love with. It was fabulous. Together they made the most wonderful duo, a kind of duet performance we have in movies occasionally. And and this was a great one, I thought. And the film was, was innocent and fun. And even when we had horrific villains, we could overplay it a little bit musically and have fun with it and pick up on the, uh, I, can I say, burlesque aspects of, of the way the humor was played and the action was delivered. A, a wonderfully fresh experience. I love the film, as I have loved all five of them. Especially in my mind, of course, is the recent Indiana Jones 5, which I love for so many reasons. First one, I agreed with the world. It was fresh. We were all ready for it they would introduced the two characters which have stayed with us all these decades now. What a wonderful experience. I remember recording music in London at Abbey Road. And I think I prepared it here in California. I'm not sure, I really don't remember that detail, but I remember the recording sessions uh, with great, great pleasure and warm memory.
0: And I wonder if you can talk about why Indiana Jones needed a march. It seems like the Raiders' march. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, it seems like the Raiders' march, which has sort of followed through on all of the films, uh, is, as, right. is a kind of signature for Indiana Jones. It is. It's,
1: it, well, the march is, is Indies music, of course. <laughs> When I wrote it, John, I didn't think of it as a march, uh, although it certainly is one. But right in the middle of this march is, is Marion's theme, of course, which unmarches marches us for a <laughs> number of majors. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, it seemed like a, a, a good approach for a hero's music and a fun march with l- large intervals, musical jumps, so to speak. Uh, that gave it a, a hopefully a kind of levity and a little bit of fun to it it was it not the military <laughs> texture or taste I don't think but rather one of adventure you know, so I think you know we could have an adventurous march i guess um, that's what suggested itself to me and we all seem to enjoy it and Harrison Ford has a wonderful joke about that march he says that, Every public appearance, he makes the marches played to introduce him. He said, I went in for a colonoscopy, and they put me in the, in the preparation room and played the Indiana Jones march. So he, couldn't, he couldn't escape it wherever he went. So uh, we've had some fun with it, too.
0: So there have been three other indie films through the years before the current one. Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and Crystal Skull. Did they follow the same basic musical formula, or were there opportunities to depart from or expand on what you'd already done in Raiders?
1: I don't think dramatically, John. One was continuation of the other very naturally, I thought. All the films required a kind of adventurous style scoring that was, you might say, kind of classic in the sense that it was a... Basically, I wouldn't say a conventional orchestra, but maybe a better description would be kind of a small symphony orchestra, which has the diversity in color and texture and tone that other instrumental groups don't quite extend that far out in terms of variation. Add energy and heroic style and also a kind of traditionalism, which the film has always embraced editorially and photographically and so on. Stephen and george of course george lucas and steven who created both of whom joined forces to create this idea and the look of it and the sort of timing and editing and so on created it all to a certain extent emulate the action comedy films of the 30s and 40s they did it so beautifully and the traditional orchestra that we use always seemed to be the right medicine the right partner for this style of filmmaking. And we've used it right through all of the, the current ones. The score is not electronic, it's not vocal, it's strictly orchestral and much of it quite, dare I say, virtuosic in, in concept and playing. Quick action music with a lot of detail and, and uh, choreographic detail and supported by the orchestra. Super energy, super quick tempos and quick changes and so on. so that, Tempo was always up speed, presto, quickly, energetically. There again, the orchestra continued to be the best vehicle we thought to provide this stylistic implant that the, the piece seemed to need, warrant, deserve, balance well with, all of that. So we had a good strong line
0: stylistically through all of them. So let's talk about the new Indiana Jones. First, why did you want or need to do this one? Me personally? Yes. Oh. Well, I would always want and need to do
1: Indiana Jones. (laughs) Uh, So I guess that's the answer to that. But I'm delighted that I was able to do it because I think Harrison, you know, doing this performance that he did at what, age 78 or nine, something like that, To us, senior citizens is already an inspiration. And I love being part of it with him. And I think he did, if I can put it this way, I think he did a magnificent job, as he always does with the comedy, and even the action in his present calendar year. (laughs) He moves beautifully still. Yeah. And uh, the other reason I would have wanted to do it is that I absolutely adored Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who exudes such intelligence and humor and wit in everything she does. I haven't seen her other work, but people have told me she does brilliant work on television. And she's well known to particularly young people. I've noticed they all seem to know her and adore her. I found the combination of Phoebe and, and Harrison uh, absolutely delicious. Their banter and witty dialogue was Delivered so beautifully and was such fun and such ease, always a little uh, tongue in cheek, never taking things too seriously and moving on through the, the most <laughs> dangerous uh, perils of Pauline kind of situations on screen. Right. It was always done with lightness, with one one uh, glance to the to, the, to the, up, up the at the fourth wall, I guess you might say. A wonderful playing, all of those scenes and style and, and
0: uh, manner. So you wrote a, a, a theme for uh, Phoebe's character, Helena. Oh yes, That's and it and it, re, and it recurs throughout the score. I kind of think of it as a kind of second main theme for the for the newest film. Can you talk a little bit about what the character of Helena sure. Helena required musically?
1: Well, well, one of the things uh, that. I think is a little bit particular to this character that the way it's written is that when we meet her, we don't know exactly what her history is. We don't know that she's conducted auctions with questionable articles and antiques of questionable provenance, And we learn that she's had an interesting personal background. She's a little bit like Uh, The the femme fatale of earlier film periods where you had gorgeous women who smoked and drank (laughs) and were adventurous and and, and wore a lot of makeup and and had mystery in their lives and in their faces and all of it, Doing all of it while looking ravishingly beautiful and so... In that sense, she was a kind of classic woman of mystery, if you like. And I, by the way, I loved Jim that the director of the film, very, very much. I found him very talented rhythmically in his editing and development of character and writing, and so on. So the first visions I had of Phoebe, I, just as an aside, I said, Jim, you know, this is this is like a, a, a classic female woman adventure movie star. And he said, well why don't you write a theme for her like that? And uh, I said, okay, I will. And I and, and I the film is it is something you might hear in the 1940s, I think, if I can say. Deliberately so. Brought at least for me, it brought a kind of nostalgia to that character. And the problem was going to be, how would that fit within her action scenes? And I think I did as well as I could with that challenge of it, and I think it worked fairly well. And so we we decided to insert the film whenever we could to give her a kind of melodic identification that would enrich or add another layer to her character, to what you hear and see from her. and. I found, I found even though it stylistically might have been a contrast to some degree with the, with the action you were seeing, it seemed to work.
0: Disney's Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series including Oscar and Grammy Award-winning John Williams score for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Check out Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in theaters and listen to the soundtracks wherever music is enjoyed. So this is the first Indiana Jones movie not to be directed by Steven Spielberg. So I'm curious, was right. was Steven at all involved in the discussions about or the planning of the score?
1: I did play a couple themes for Steven, which he seemed to enjoy, and he he, he was very sweet. He supported my, my efforts, rang up Jim and said he heard the themes and he loves them and so forth, that kind of thing, which is... Generosity, very typical of Stephen, as we both know. Yeah, yeah. And apart from that, one little session that I had with him at at, at DreamWorks, as the way I usually do with Stephen, sat at the piano and went through the various themes and ideas that I had, and got his support and his enthusiasm which is of a very high order, as you very well know. Of course, yeah. And I, th- I think it guided the, the whole thing. Very possibly the, write- the writing also.
0: So so what was it like working with Jim Mangold? Was the process different than you might have done with Stephen? No, I don't think so. I think
1: the process with Jim was very similar. Once we had a few initial discussions, I went about my writing, and he was patient to wait to hear anything until we had the orchestra on stage. And it was great fun because he would come out and say, he's got a great sonorous voice, which I think is really wonderful. And I think, I think it frightens some people, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, really, it's really the source of, of a great delight, I think. And uh, he gives a classical impression and a rendition of, of, a, of a colorful director mm. and a very talented one. Mm. And the orchestra loved him also. He would speak to me in his his operatic voice in Wagnerian (laughs) levels of of conversation, (laughs) which were always delightful. And he had good ideas, like almost all good directors. You know, he would have suggestions of louder here, softer there, slower there, and so on. He was a great partner and a great collaborator. I truly enjoyed working with him. It was, it was delightful, enjoy him as a person. Very bright and keen and, and enthusiastic. And I, I don't know how old Jim is, but he seems to me to be young and and full of energy and, and promise mm. still. He's done a lot of very fine things, of course, but I think he has that ability, that energy and talent.
0: The film takes place in three distinct time periods. The 1940s, with Indy fighting the Nazis in the French Alps. Then a jump to 69 and an older, sort of sadder Professor Jones in New York. Then it's off to Africa and the Mediterranean. And then finally, an unexpected jump back to ancient times. Did all of these shifts in time and place require different sounds or colors or musical approaches?
1: To some degree, yes, they do. There is a, a hint of antiquity in the music that we not only hear when we see Archimedes, but when, he, when his presence and influence is, is even mentioned and alluded to in the earlier part of the film. I think it to a subtle degree. I hope it's enough in the, the right, and measured in the right way. I mean, to go back a little bit, the early part of the film where we're dealing with the, the Nazis and so on, the musicists very, very heavy and very ominous, almost to the point where we're, we're exaggerating, which we've always done with that in within, within the indie pictures. The villains were always described musically in almost operatic uh, degrees of weight. And of course, then we have Helena. But the antiquity, I used some string instruments and not ancient harps, but put it this way, a subtle suggestion of what of what that musical atmosphere might be. I didn't want to overdo it and uh, move into some area of, of an accepted practice on that. But rather just to say it again, subtly suggest what we think to be pentatonic scales and antique string instruments and so on that we associate with the music of the ancient world or the the modern antiquity of the Greeks and Romans, I guess. If we could go back in time, we might discover that Romans, Greeks, and Egyptians were very good at writing fugues, but we we don't know. (laughs) We can't, (laughs) we can't, can't, you know, we we may not have given them their due yet. But yes, (laughs) There are some coloristic changes from section to section of the film.
0: Is it possible to say what the biggest challenge of the movie was?
1: We know it's going to be fun, and we, we know it's going to be fun to play, I hope, as musicians. But the biggest challenge of all of them is, can I say, John, the biggest challenge is the biggest challenge. <laughs> the biggest <laughs> challenge is that... Uh, it, it needs a very active full score of maybe two hours of music, of of a variety of approaches and colors and stylistic suggestions. The biggest challenge is that itself, that, that doing an Indiana Jones score is, at least in terms of number of notes, is like doing an opera without the, without the vocals imposed on it. <laughs> so so. They are challenging.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's my understanding that recording took place over nine months, from June of 2022 into February of okay. 2023. Is that unusual? Is that right? That's that's great. Well, uh, it is. Certainly it is.
1: But they are, it happens we films post-productions go on and on for one reason or another. I think when we started, we, the, all the photography hadn't been done. In fact, I'm sure it hadn't. It went on through the fall, and we kept getting sequences and so on. So it was a longer post-production schedule than one usually has, but it's, it's not unique. Uh, from my point of view, John, uh, given the challenge aspect that we talked about, I loved it because I, I had a little more done leisurely time, but I didn't have to rush in some cases where I might otherwise normally have to do. Uh, so it was a post-production, and at least from a musical point of view, we loved. We had well-spaced sessions with the orchestra, and the orchestra began to know the material as we developed it and performed it. And it's whatever the complicated post-production reasons are that I can't give you, I'm delighted and grateful that it happened that way. And i I'd just say to you, John, that I wish it could happen more often. I loved it. <laughs>
0: What were the recording sessions like? I understand you had 86 of L.A.'s finest musicians.
1: For, for me, those recording sessions have always been the real moment of joy in the work. When, you can, when one can get on the podium and give a down, but and hear what you've taken weeks and weeks to write, and hear them uh, uh, play it nearly perfectly on the reading through, and then with a little rehearsal, they're, they're ready to record. It's a great musical joy film aside and, and the situation which is filled with all kinds of uh, limitations you can almost say in timing and so on film music in general it's a moment where you can you can sort of relax and and, and enjoy making music I would I would meet those 86 musicians five days a week and 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 go through repertoire with them and just have fun. They are so miraculously good. Let me just add a little aside to you, John, that I would write, this is how good they are. I, I would write a four or five minute piece of music, which would maybe take me a week, and that's already quick. If it's, a, if it's an action scene that's filled with notes. It takes me four or five days to write it, and I put it on the front of the orchestra and give it down, and they play it nearly perfectly. That's very frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I, I don't seem to be able to write anything. It's difficult enough to perplex them for five minutes. (laughs) So uh, we're lucky. I mean, you know, Julia Curtis at a COVID school here at USC, they're turning out musicians all over the country that are so brilliant. And and, uh, the sad part about it is that you have a position in an orchestra for one player and you get 50. Applicants who are equally fantastic. How do you choose one? We need to have more jobs, uh, not less musicians. We're, we're, we're blessed with riches and that area of fantastic players.
0: Uh, I have to ask you about one particular track on the soundtrack album, and that's what? the one with violinist Anna Sophie Muter performing, he- <laughs> yeah. performing Helena's uh-huh. theme. Tell us about that.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> well... You may know, John, that I've been doing a few things with Anna Sophie in the last few years. Uh, a couple of concertos, another piece called Markings, and a dozen or more film themes, which we've, many of which we've recorded. So we've had a little modus operandi which was going on. Anna Sophie was recording what I seem to be recently writing, and uh, when Helen that theme came along. I thought, well, why, why don't have Ana Sophia recorded? Everybody said, great, let her have, let's have her recorded. And, and then we might have said, well, there's no, there isn't a violin score in Indiana Jones. That's about as far as you can go uh, away from Indy. And then I think the general feeling on the part of the record company and production companies also, we have the presence of, of one of the great, world's greatest artists. And Anna Sophia was excited about doing it. And so she recorded it. We didn't know quite what we were do with the recordings, Well, let's put it in, in, in the CD. People might enjoy this, this rendition of the, of Colleen the Stadium. And since we've performed it, I mean, she's been performing all over the place. But I've done some performances of it with other in concerts, just the orchestra and also with Anna sophie So we have our little original and unique combination of talents and with, with the film and i'm delighted with it i think it's i think it was uh, a, a wonderful thing to have her be so enthusiastic about it and so willing to play it and uh, people interested in indiana jones may take a particular notice of elena's theme and the char- this particular characterization of Helena and uh enjoy both treatments of the theme orchestral and Solo violin.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful. Is there a personal satisfaction in knowing that you've done all nine Star Wars movies and all five Indiana Jones movies, that you've seen them all through from beginning to uh, end?
1: I wouldn't have it any other way, John, if I had any, any particular special control of the situation. I've always loved these projects and loved writing music for them and both series song Wars and Indiana Jones have been major parts of my my musical life. So the fact that I've been able to get along with them this far uh, uh, gives me great satisfaction
0: You've hinted that you might step away from movies having done this now for more than sixty years. Is this <laughs> well, is this your last film?
1: No, I don't know, John I could um I'm um, I'm a fairly good piano player, (laughs) but I'm I'm lousy at predicting the future. So, so, who knows? You know, uh, if I'm able to do it and there's something that I can do, I can't read it's quite quite that well. But I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. At the present, I'm moving into my newest project, which is a piano controller for
0: manual acts. One of our greatest piano atrocity that we have. That's fascinating. So a piano concerto, I don't think you've written a piano concerto before, have you?
1: I haven't. I haven't. I'm trembling. <laughs> uh, I doubt that. But, <laughs> I, but but I but I want to do it and and I I hope I can manage to complete by the middle or well, somewhere in the middle of twelve of twenty four. I'm just wrapping up a few things here now and so that's my immediate my immediate goal. But to ask you a question, John, if a film should come along with the right person making it, particularly if his name is Spielberg, <laughs>
0: I, I would probably want very much to do it. You've also continued to conduct, and in the past couple of years, I know you've conducted your music with some of the world's greatest orchestras, including those in in Berlin and Vienna. What's that been like for you?
1: Well, first of all, the invitation to conduct those orchestras is probably one of the highest accolades any musician of any kind could receive. Uh, These are sort of incredible heights of performance level that, that the orchestra took probably the greatest in the world, surely. And unbelievable history, well, given the music they've premiered, the conductors in the past have, have really uh, generated this higher art of orchestral recording with a conductor. I mean, the whole practice is only a couple hundred years old in, in that exact f- form in which it's done today. I want to tell you, John, it's just the highest honor I think a musician can have. Now, I don't want to neglect the Boston Symphony or the Chicago Symphony of Philadelphia. I had the great honor of, of standing in front of those people. It's something that I'm so happy. I've been able to be well enough and around long enough to be able to accept an invitation like that. And I hope that, uh, I can revisit them at some time in the future, we're talking about that, as well as our orchestras here in the States. I was in Japan for the Santo Kenan Festival that Seiji Ozawa has created about 30 years ago. And we did a concert in Matsumoto or another at, at, uh, in Tokyo, Century Hall. And it was an orchestra that Seiji puts together every year, every summer for his festival, with largely Japanese musicians that are in major orchestras all around the world, like Vienna, Berlin, Vienna, even in some cases, Boston Symphony, Man, one of our flutists at play. And that orchestra in saito Canada is absolutely world-class. It's in the class with ours, Chicago, Boston, Berlin, all of them. And so uh, wonderful orchestras seem to be all over the world so many that I would love to visit. Australia, for example, and, and on and on through Europe. But unfortunately, uh, John, you know, time, energy, and so on is, uh, these are these are boundaries that are there. But I, I can tell you my visits to Berlin and to Vienna are absolute high points in my musical life. And, and, and so far beyond any expectation I might have had of my own abilities. This is a gratification that I don't think I can describe to you.
0: One of the things that fascinates me is the fact that these orchestras, these, these major orchestras, these world-class ensembles, generally have not played film music in the past. And no. And it's fascinating to me that I believe you have heightened the awareness of the fact that there is great music being written for motion pictures, and perhaps it does deserve to be on the concert hall stage.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's some of it might, and uh, let's hope we get more of it. <laughs> uh,
0: I guess there, there's no thought of retirement in your future, then.
1: No, I don't think so, John. Uh, I read about a football coach who said who was asked, "Are you going to retire?" and he said, "What for?" I said, "That's probably the that's probably the answer I can give you." (laughs) Uh, Also, John, I mean, how you can't retire from music? That's like retiring from breathing. Uh, Whether we play tunes on a penny whistle or write for orchestras, music is a part of our. Existence in our minds, and uh, I don't know how you retire from it.
0: Well, we're enormously grateful for your time today, John. So many of us admire what you've done for so long, and we can't wait to hear what you come up with next. So many thanks.
1: Okay, great. Thanks, John. Thanks for your interest in your talk.
0: It's great to talk with you. You too. All the best. Bye-bye. Check out Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and listen to the soundtracks wherever music is enjoyed.